0: Onward, upward, forward. What is that about? Christians, believers in Jesus, should always be focused on the goodness of God and the end game. The end game. And I'm not talking about Avengers. I learned that that's uh, (laughs) the end game, God's end game. This world's system will do its best to discourage Distract, dissuade, deter, dismantle, depress, destroy. That was a lot of D words, huh? I thought that was kind of cool. Huh? But that's what the world's doing. It's trying to knock us out. The world's system that's under the control of Satan, uh, our selfishness, our flesh feeds into that. But if we can keep our eyes on the goodness of God and the end game, we'll possess, we'll possess a fortitude. To march onward, upward, forward. With all the negativity in the news and the tension in culture and the stress in life, what is um, the biggest fear out there? What is enemy number one? There's, there's a lot of fears to choose from. What fear might throw us off course steal our joy, peace, paralyze us? Today, we're going to stare straight on to the subject of death and you say whoa that's heavy at a time like this why would you pull that one on us because if we can stare and understand from God's perspective the truths and lies of death we will be 10 times stronger to tackle anything that comes our way going forward and so that's what we're going to do we're going to go straight at that menacing foe death we're going to take it on by God's grace And uh, there's so much we could cover, so much we could talk about, but there's four things today that we're going to key in on and focus on. And so I'm going today, I'm going to present some thoughts, some arguments for you to ponder as it concerns the topic of death and eternal life. So that being said, Romans 5, 12 says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. COVID's pretty contagious. I mean, quite contagious. Uh, Quite a few people, it's spread to quite a few people. But listen, with or without COVID, death has spread to everyone. That's what that verse says it says, death spread to everyone. So with or without COVID, death spread to everyone. And that's a sobering fact. Uh, We try to ignore it. 100% of people die. Maybe the exception of Enoch in the Old Testament and Elijah, who, according to a lot of scholars, believe they'll be coming back in Revelation or the end days, at which point in time they'll die and then be resurrected. I digress. You can thank Adam and you can thank one another And you can thank yourself for the sin and death in this world. Or you can choose not to thank those people. Adam and Eve, they ate from the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. They chose to usurp God's wisdom and his instruction. God told them that if they were to eat of it, they would surely die. But rather than trust God, rather than obey God, they listened to that serpent who said, Did God really say, can you really trust God? Why don't you be your own God and make your own decisions and use your own brain? Why don't you usurp? Why don't you be God, essentially? And so in the day that they ate of it, indeed, their spirit died. And in the day they ate of it, their bodies became mortal. Sin ushered into the world disease, decay, and death. And we've all added our share of sin to the mix, and we all share the guilt and the penalty. And that's where death came from, that's the origin of death. But can I tell you something? Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden did not catch God off, God, uh, off guard, God was not surprised. God foreknew, he knew in advance that Adam would choose to disobey. In fact, God had already planned to send Jesus as Savior to the world before he created the world, before he created Adam and Eve. God's a few steps ahead of us. Yeah, I don't know have you, if you guys have um, played chess before, or if you've ever played someone that's really good at chess. In fact, they say that um, a chess master thinks ahead about 25 to 30 moves in advance. Guys, God is way ahead of us. We're like, oh, Adam sin, all oh, the world's messed up, all oh, this. No, 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 no. That, that is elementary. God knew that would happen, and he planned to send Jesus Christ to the world before he even created the world. He knew that with our free will, we would choose stupidity. He says, I'm going to give you guys something that's an amazing gift. It's called free will. It means you can, I'm not forcing you to do things. I'm giving you something called free will. And he knew they would just, they would just be so irresponsible with that free will. So sending Jesus was not plan B. It was plan A all along. And I'm not making this stuff up. Look at Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 5. It says, even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. God's mind was on redemption and creating a species, creating a people that would become many things. I'm gonna list a few of them. His overarching plan was to introduce us to grace and mercy through his son that we might become righteous through Jesus and we might learn to be more and more responsible with our free will with the help of his spirit. Redemption was the plan whereby we would become creatures capable of extreme responsibility, operating by free will and yet faithful. Creatures capable of fellowship with God, receiving and wielding great authority. Operating by a trustworthy spirit led free will. We'd operate out of gratitude and gratefulness and thanksgiving and optimism and confident trust. Our fuel would be the proven love of God. Now, listen God's end game is to entrust the entire kingdom to us. Yeah. Yeah, look. Not joking. Luke 12, 32, he's talking to his disciples, talking to the people. He says, Don't be afraid, little flock. For it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Paul, the apostle Paul, he's writing to the Corinthians and they're having squabbles within their church, and he said, What are you doing? You're trying to sue each other or go to court? Don't you know? He says, Don't you know in 1 Corinthians 6 3, don't you realize that we will judge the angels? God's end game is to redeem us and make us something ten times greater than what Adam and Eve were initially in the Garden of Eden. God is King, Jesus, and then us as co heirs with Christ, all creation will report to us. He's not entrusting the kingdom to everyone, not to self serving, rebellious people, but to the redeemed the regenerate people who are one with him in vision and mission. For a Christian, and this is number one in your notes, death is the beginning, hallelujah. Amen. Hebrews 9, 27 through 28 says, just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes the judgment so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly are waiting for him. Verse 27 essentially states that death is the beginning. It's pointed unto man to die once, and after that, what's the after that? after that means that death is a doorway it's a gateway it's not the end it's a doorway it's a gateway to judgment judgment for what for the deeds done in the body while we were on earth were you perfect or were you a sinner that was a heavy question The question, the litmus test is not, were you better than Frank or Lisa? It'll be, have you sinned against the holy God or were you perfect before him? And one might say, I don't like that question. I think you should grade on the curve. Of course you do. Of course I do, because we're sinners. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. We love to have it both ways. We want No sin in heaven. We want heaven to remain perfect, but we want to be accepted into heaven as sinners. In which case, heaven would no longer be perfect or sinless. We're incoherent humans, and we don't deserve eternal life in a perfect heaven. However, and this is where that burden gets taken right off of us. However, in verse 28, we just read it so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. And he will come again not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. God is so good, so loving. He made a way for us to be forgiven. So... While death is the gateway to judgment, there's another gate unto eternal life. Jesus speaking in John 10, 9 through 11, he says, I, yes, I am the gate. Those who come to me, who come in through me, will be saved. They will come and go freely and find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich, and satisfying life. By the way, that's eternal life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Jesus did it. In time and in space and in our world, he came and he did it just as was prophesied. Jesus is the gate, subnote. John 15, 13 There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. 1 John 4.10, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Now, what could happen now is we could preach a separate sermon on the person of Christ and give evidence for him being who he said he was. But in just taking a couple minutes, God has made it clear through creation itself that justice, redemption, and new life are to be anticipated. You see a seed falling to the ground and it dies, and from it, from the death of that seed, grows a flower or plant or a tree. We see the principles of sowing and reaping in Wisconsin, we see trees, leaves turning color, falling off, but then new buds in the spring and new leaves coming. We look at a caterpillar, and a calip- caterpillar blows my mind. That <laughs> just as crazy as can be that this caterpillar worm-like creature metamorphosizing into a new creation, a butterfly. Creation speaks very loudly of future and new life and resurrection. Very loudly, people can can dismiss it, but the possibilities are all over the place throughout creation to make you think and wonder. Throughout history among all the nations, all the nations have had a moral law. And they've understood the concepts of sin and guilt and condemnation. Every nation, everywhere. They have a moral code, a moral law. Many of these nations implemented sacrificial systems of substitutionary atonement. What I mean by that is they would sacrifice an animal in place of an individual to alleviate him or to take away his sin that he had committed. Throughout the Old Testament, Jewish scriptures, hundreds upon hundreds of prophecies were given, numerous foreshadowings occurred that made all people everywhere anticipate a Messiah. Everywhere, people everywhere, all over, waiting and looking and wondering when and how God might redeem humankind from sin, how we might be given life, eternal life, looking for a Messiah and wondering, how is he going to accomplish that? Throughout the Jewish scriptures, we read that he would be an offspring of Abraham. You know, Judaism, Christianity, Islam makes up almost 90% of the, nation's, of the world's religions, and all of them trace back to Abraham. A real person who really lived, who was really given promises by God, that through his seed, all nations would be blessed. The coming Messiah. From Abraham, he, of course, he has kids, a kid and his kid has kids, and uh, it's prophesied that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah, from the family of David, that he would be born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem at an exact year in history that he'd perform signs and wonders and miracles. That he would be pierced for our rebellion and crushed for our sins. That he would die during the Passover festival, the Jewish festival. He'd be buried in a rich man's grave and within three days, in three days, he would rise from the dead. And at just the right time in history, faithful to his promise, God essentially clothed himself, cloned himself, spiritually speaking, in the person of Jesus, entering our world through the Virgin Mary to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Jesus lived a sinless life, and then he laid down his life, died for our sin to ransom us from the power of sin and the penalty of death. Having defeated sin and death on the cross, Jesus took up his life again in resurrecting from the dead with well over 500 people giving eyewitness public testimony that's a big deal when 500 people do that he then ascended back to god the father where he's awaiting the appointed time for which he'll return to judge the living and the dead look at ephesians 1 12 through 14 says god's purpose was that we jews this is paul writing he's a jew we jews who were first to trust in christ would bring praise and glory to god And now you Gentiles, non-Jews, have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. That was another prophecy fulfilled. Old Testament book of Joel said that God would someday pour out his spirit on all flesh, Jew and Gentile alike, give of his own spirit to humanity. Giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. This, the spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. Thousands upon billions, billions of people have since placed their trust in Jesus and the work he's accomplished. And in so doing, they have received the spirit of Christ making their dead spirit alive. The Holy Spirit indwelling, influencing, empowering all who believe in Jesus. We become one with Jesus, like a marriage. Just as Jesus was one with God, our spirits are made alive. And we await the ultimate salvation of our bodies, renewing of our minds. You don't hear that on network news, You don't hear that, history. You don't hear Google and Wikipedia promoting the Christian worldview, but it continues to be the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. I don't know where you get your perspectives from and your worldview from. Maybe you're watching online and you're a product of mainstream media Maybe your brain and beliefs are a result of public education or social media. And I get it, it's, it's how do we know what is truth? What is reality? There's all these different perspectives and people talking with conviction. I was thinking, when you have um, seen and heard stories and watched documentaries of people that have grown up in third world countries who are lucky to eat once a day if they find a lizard running by. And you take that person who has lived decades in a third world country, and you bring them to the United States of America, and you walk them into a grocery store, and they are undone because food in such quality, quantity, diversity, accessibility is stacked from floor to ceiling in hundreds of aisles. How can this be? They would never have believed so based upon their life experiences. And so it is with us. This world, its ways, its values, its conclusions, its experts seem so credible, so real, so final to us because it's all we hear and it's all we've known. And yet what this world really is, is an opportunity to respond to the love of God. This world serves as a filter and a purifier that presents every person with a decision to make and a truth to embrace, a love to be had. Trust God, worship God, or worship stuff. Trust government, worship myself, my desires. Acknowledge truth or resist it. Acknowledge one's sin or choose to deny it. Ignore it. Justify it. Accept God's mercies and graces or feign a self-righteousness. Woo, baby! This world is an incubator. It gives physical life to all of us and it gives everyone an opportunity at spiritual life. Being born again of God's spirit through his son and by his love. Oh, I pray that you respond to him today if you have not before. For no one is promised tomorrow. None of us are promised tomorrow. Don't put off that which is most important. And maybe you're sitting here and you're like, hey, you did raise some curiosity in my heart and in my mind today. You were making me think of some things that I usually don't think of because the world's spinning so fast and there's so much I'm taken in and I don't think about these things to this extent. And it's a little scary. We have some free materials um, out at Guest Central. And will you please, we just buy them to give them away. And so Why Jesus, awesome book. A little booklet on what it means to have a relationship with God. Put some more meat on uh, who Jesus is and what he accomplished. Life in Six Words is a good one. You've chosen to follow Christ. What's your next step? Some good books. And those are free. Um, you know what? This week marks the week uh, that many of our life groups, most of our fall life groups start. And so women's groups going on throughout the week, men's groups going out, going on throughout the week. I'd love to promote the women's stuff, but I don't know what it is. I do know what the men's stuff is. Men's fraternity begins, if you have not ever been through this, this is the best men's... Uh, Uh, what it means, the quest for authentic manhood. So awesome, so awesome. And that starts tomorrow night, 6.30. Another one, um, that was a girl that said, whoo, whoo. I want the guys to say, yeah, all right. right. Here is is one, just what we're talking about. This is called Mere Christianity. This is a classic written by C.S. Lewis on the Christian worldview, a defense and an argument and a presentation of the Christian worldview. So this would be a great class to come. It's just a book read. We're reading a book. We talk about it. And so that starts tomorrow night also, 6.30. Um, the only cost is for the material itself. I think this is 15 or 20, and um, men's fraternity is 15. Let's go to sub point two. Love is a choice. John three sixteen. for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God's all about rescuing, all about redemption. From before the world began, that was the plan, to redeem a sinful and stubborn and obstinate, wayward humanity to redeem it. Make it ten times greater than what it ever would have been, could have been otherwise. Second Peter three nine, the last part of that verse says, God does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. Everyone... God doesn't make someone believe or someone not believe. That's not, that's not who God is. The ball is placed in our court. It says, everyone who believes, John 3.16, everyone who believes. You see, love cannot be forced. By definition, it cannot be. Love must be voluntary. A heart is not controlled by anyone other than that own person's spirit. Manipulate bribe as we may, intimidate, threaten, one cannot force or prevent love. And if that premise is challenged, we saw in World War II the atrocities that happened in the concentration camps. Soldiers could force prisoners to lay on the ground. They could force them to give up their belongings. They could force them into the gas chambers, but they could not control the hearts of the prisoners. I can force my little kids to say sorry to one another, but I can't control their heart. And sometimes they're not really sorry. right? In fact, just as one cannot force love, you're also powerless to prevent it. As in the case, and we've spoken many times of Corey Ten Boom, in a Nazi concentration camp, as was her sister, her sister who died in the Nazi Nazi concentration camp. Years later, after Corey was out and free, she came into contact at a speaking engagement that she spoke on. She was speaking of the grace and love of God. And who does she see in the back but one of the soldiers who had beat and abused her sister in the camp. And after the service, as she's shaking hands and people are lining up, she sees him in line coming toward her. And there's such pain and such hurt. And yet Corrie ten Boom had experienced the great love of God through Jesus Christ. And she said, God, I don't know. I can't shake his hand. You're gonna have to pour your love into me. And at last she did, she shook his hand and looked him in the eye told him that she loved him, God loved him. You can't prevent love, can't prevent it, it's a choice. I cannot make my children love God, I can teach them about him, his good ways, I can be an example to to them, but I cannot make them love God. They must choose to love the Lord their God for themselves. That is why friends, free will and true love are so valuable and so precious and priceless. We know where death comes from. We know that everyone dies and faces judgment. We know that God sent Jesus to be our escape route. Many of us have received that great love of God, and we've chosen to respond to the love of God by loving him back, and how can we not help it? But... How do we, as we transition to some point, or point number two, how do we cope when another believer, a loved one, dies? And number two in your notes, sad but without, but not without hope. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, look at it with me. Now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died so that you will not grieve as people who have no hope hope a little audience participation is not a t- terrible thing for since we believe that jesus died and was raised to life again we also believe that when jesus returns god will bring back with him the believers who have died Woo! that'll be a party Hope. yeah we tell you this directly from the lord we who are still living when the lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And first the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we'll be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Subpoint: so encourage one another with these words. That would be a good passage for all of us to memorize as best we can so we can encourage one another with those words right there. When the time is right, we'll see the redeemed coming back with Jesus and in fullness of strength, the best version of themselves, a new glorified body. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. We'll sing and dance the victory. It's okay to grieve. We don't, as Christians and as believers, we don't deny our feelings or act as if there is no hurt. Pain is real, and we acknowledge it. It doesn't make us weak to acknowledge it. Jesus cried on many occasions in Scripture. And one specific example was when he saw and felt the sadness of Mary and Martha over the death of their brother, Lazarus. And the Bible says that Jesus wept. Faith and sadness can coexist. Yes, we believe God is good. Yes, we believe in the eternal. But yes, we also hurt in the present and we miss our loved one and we may even have some regrets Yes, there is a time to grieve, but there is a right way and a wrong way to grieve. The wrong way is as those who have no hope. We have certain hope. We have a confident expectation of that which will be. Perspective keeps us from falling into the pit of despair. It keeps us from falling to the bottom of the pit. Oh, we might fall a little ways, but then we regain perspective and we grab hold of the rope and we begin to climb again. We do not grieve as those who have no hope. Onward, upward, forward. We're on mission and God goes before us, and there is great reward, and there are no permanent goodbyes for believers in Jesus, just see you later. Losing a loved one will definitely clarify what's important in life and what is not. Solomon, in contemplating priorities, he wrote this in Ecclesiastes 7.2, Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. I tell you, after doing some funerals and you see people sitting there thinking about things that they never think about, and all of a sudden all the priorities, their big job promotion or the thing that they're saving up to buy, just doesn't seem that important anymore. Which brings us to number three. We don't live for the temporary. No, we live for the eternal, eternal. Yes, we do. Many of us have heard the scripture, Matthew six, nineteen through twenty-one, Jesus speaking, he said, Don't store up treasures here on earth. Are you morons? He didn't say morons. <clears throat> Don't store up treasures here on earth where moth eats them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store up treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will also be. As Christians, we don't live for the temporary. For the temporal, we live for the eternal. We seek the greater reward. We hold loosely to the things of this world open hands. We don't grasp and cling to our life, to our stuff, A believer uses their time and their energy and the money for the glory of God. You know, sub-point, faith gets real when death comes knocking. Faith gets real. The world slows down. People think about eternity. They ask questions that they never ask. Do I really believe that Jesus is the Savior and that he'll really save me? Was that just something that I went along with my whole life because it's kind of what everybody I was around did and my family did and it sounded nice? Or the Jesus thing kind of helped round out my life with my personal ambitions and my goals and material possessions and relationships? When the truth of God's kingdom collides with the mirages of this world, people have a decision to make. Either we go deeper in our trust and our faith and our love. Either our eyes go to Jesus or we turn away. Either our intimacy grows through trials or it evaporates. There was a point during Jesus' ministry when he spoke of things that were difficult to understand and many of his followers turned away. It's recorded in the book of John, chapter 6, verse 66 through 69, it says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and they deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and he asked, are you also going to leave? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God said this before, double down on Jesus Christ. Double down on Jesus, he's the good shepherd, the real deal, never to leave us nor forsake us, he's the power to save. He's the rewarder of those who seek him, he will keep in perfect peace, those whose minds are stayed on him. The old hymn goes, it was written 100 years ago, about a 100 year anniversary coming up, by a missionary young woman, She wrote, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Is Jesus your treasure this morning? Is Jesus our greatest treasure this morning? May he be our first love, the most real person in our life, spending time with him daily, letting his Holy Spirit fill us, acknowledging him, unashamedly declaring him king. And finally, number four this morning, worship in and through the grief. Last week, hey guys, we're hitting a heavy subject today a heavy subject that just seems really too close for some of us to think about and deal with. But these truths are so true and so powerful and so important that I felt, and and God wants us to lean in and trust him. He wants us to be close to him and he wants us to see the eternal. Listen to this. Uh, Last week we talked about worship, Uh, Last week we said worship begins in the heart. It's not lip service, but it's in spirit and truth. Worship expresses itself externally in what we say and what we do. Worship needs to be cultivated. We need to train ourselves to worship. We need to sing the right song on the right side of the problem. Worship should lead us. Worship means embracing our calling the opportunities before us. It means embracing the end game. We're embracing the end game and the goodness of God. Tonight is a great opportunity. Awaken is happening. And it's a chance to sit and stand and worship and pray with our God. I want to end tonight with, uh, tonight, tonight's Awaken. This morning, I'd like to end this morning with a case study on Job in the Bible, who grieved deeply, but did so in the right way. Not as one who had no hope, but as one who trusted in God's goodness and believed in the end game. Job 1, there's four passages. Job 1, 18 through 22, it says, while he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news, and I'll preface this, Job had just lost all of his livelihood. All of, his, um, all of his animals, all of his crops gone. And then this news comes. Your sons and your daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. And the house collapsed. And all your children are dead. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. And Job stood up and he tore his robe in grief. And he shaved his head and he fell to the ground to worship and he said I have come naked from my mother's womb and I'll be naked when I leave the Lord gave me what I had the Lord's taken it away praise the name of the Lord and in all this Job did not sin in blaming God real grief with real feelings and real expression, but worship, a love, a loyalty, a devotion, a dependence upon God's love in the end game. Big question today, maybe one to write down. This would be one to write down. Do you run toward God or away from God in your grief? Job said, praise the name of the Lord. How did he say that? He trusted in God's goodness and in the eternal outcome, the end game. Second passage, Job 2, 8 through 10. More difficulties come upon Job. It doesn't let up. He worships God. He praises God. What happens? What happens? Things get worse. Oh, He's further struck with extremely painful boils all over his skin. And in verse 8, it says, Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. God was not causing the bad stuff, by the way. He allowed it, but there's a reward involved. Oh yeah, God was there. After worshiping and praising God, things seem to get worse. Has that ever happened in your life? You choose to worship and trust through an extremely difficult time and then something worse happens. It's happened to me a lot of times. I praise you, God, through this bad thing, and the next day, something doubly bad happens. Not good. God seems distant and unresponsive and aloof and uncaring and uninvolved. To what point are you entrusting yourself to God and his love? What is your breaking point? Job had no breaking point. He was committed to God because he believed in God's goodness and in the eternal outcome, the end game. We can't, listen, we can't form conclusions on this side of eternity. That would be messed up. Job knew it. In fact, I believe the following passage, as spoken by Job in the midst of his greatest suffering, might be the greatest faith passage in the whole Bible. That's my opinion. Listen to this. Subpoint I know that my Redeemer lives. Oh. Man, Job nineteen twenty five through twenty seven. But as for me, I know that my redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. Woo! Oh, baby, there's a man of faith who believes in and has experienced the love of God to trust God like that. Subpoint number two, so the Lord blessed Job. Here's the final passage, Job 42, 12 through 17. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. For now he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. Verse 13, he also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. He named his first daughter Jemima, the second Keziah, the third, Karen Hapuk. In all the land, no women were as lovely as the daughters of Job, and their father put them into his will, along with their brothers. Job lived 140 years after that, living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. And then he died an old man who'd lived a long, full life. It's a picture for us of the future. It's a picture of the ultimate outcome of trusting and obeying the Lord. It is blessing. Maybe in this life to some degree or another, but fully in the life to come. If your trust is in Jesus, you can worship through your grief. What is God speaking to you today? Has the fear or the thought of death paralyzed you over the past weeks or years, fear not. I know my Redeemer lives. Guys, it is, that man, we live for the eternal, We hold loosely to the things of this world and we feel sorrow and we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. The author and finisher of our faith is Jesus Christ. It's coming again, great love of God. So we can be the ones to persevere and run with endurance the race set before us, enduring whatever we may knowing that God is a rewarder and he is with us. God, I thank you for being great and mighty. I thank you, Lord, for your great love. I pray for those, Lord, that are afraid of death or they're paralyzed, Lord, by it. And it's just interrupting, Lord, the plans and purposes you have for their life. I pray that today, Lord, we could get past the negativity again. God, you would be our focus and our confidence, Lord, that we could run with joy, And peace and purpose. Trusting in you, Lord. Trusting your ways. Trusting your timing. Oh, and we believe we'll see miracles yet, Lord, in the days ahead. And we'll see good works and we'll see people coming to you and we'll see you transforming lives, changing people from the inside out. Hallelujah. We thank you, God, that you don't stop working. You don't stop moving. And at the appointed time, Lord, you will return to gather your church. Ah, oh, give us strength, Lord, and perspective. We bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen.